If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, and we will begin in chapter 37. And what we're going to do is we're going to read a few verses out of 37 and then kind of jump around to a couple of places in the book of Genesis. But we're going to start in Genesis 37, and we're going to pick up in, uh, in just a moment in verse 2. Now, uh, you, you, might, you might remember that a couple of months ago we were doing a study, kind of a, not really a study study, but we just kind of, it was kind of a study, kind of a biographical uh, series that we've been doing on some of the characters from Scripture, and we've been looking at their lives and some of the lessons we can learn. And then we paused that for a little bit and stopped for about two months. We did, I think it was seven weeks of, of tests that uh, John gives in the book of First John, uh, tests that we can apply to ourselves to see whether or not we are truly saved. We got through that, and so we're getting back into our study that we've been doing this biographical series, and we're going to pick up today in the life of Joseph. Now, Joseph is one of the most well-known characters in Scripture. I'm not talking about Joseph, the mother of Jesus, or father of Jesus. I'm not talking about Joseph of Arimathea. I'm talking about Old Testament Joseph, the the one who had the coat of many colors. And uh, and I think part of the reason he's so so well known is because he's he's so relatable in a lot of ways. I mean, he comes from a dysfunctional family, and some of us uh, can definitely identify with that. He, he had there's parental favoritism in the family. Uh, the siblings don't get along. Maybe you can definitely identify with that. Everybody hates Joseph. I mean, he's the black sheep of the family, and, and so really all the siblings uh, dislike him. They can't even talk to him uh, in, in the most uh, uh, basic of uh, friendly ways. And it's kind of the ultimate underdog story. Here's a man who was unfairly... Um, well, he was kidnapped, he was sold into slavery, he was falsely accused, he was imprisoned, and then ended up rising to the second highest position in the whole nation. And so it's, it's, there's a lot of human interest in the life of Joseph. Now our focus today is going to be on the providence of God. The providence of God. And providence is really just a big theological word. The, 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 the idea behind it is that God is sovereign over all things, and providence is how his sovereignty interacts with human history, okay? How he guides and controls uh, every, everything that there is and, and works out his will in the life of individuals. Now, many times, providence is not, is not impressive looking, okay? So sometimes, like, you think about the Exodus event. God was in, involved in that. Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. God intervened at the Red Sea, for instance. So there's this miraculous intervention. He, he splits the Red Sea. The Israelites go across. We can see God's work in, in, in an instance like that. But many times his providence looks more like the book of Esther. Remember Esther, the, 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 God is not even mentioned in the book of Esther. And yet he is behind the scenes the whole time orchestrating all things according to his will. Now, the classic verse about the providence of God is Romans 8.28. Now, you probably are familiar with this. Uh, and, and we know that, all, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. The sister verse of that is in the Old Testament, and it's actually uttered by Joseph himself. And that's Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, which we will look at. And there he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. Now, that, this is the main lesson that we're going to look at today in the life of Joseph. God's overarching providence. His, his control over all things. As we look at that, though, I, I want you to see 
Just a, a couple of little lessons that we can learn out of the life of Joseph, but even those, I want you to see those against the backdrop of God's providence. So, with all that, with all that said, if you're able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's Word. We'll pick up in chapter 37, in verse 2. And again, we, we will be reading a few verses out of different, uh, different portions of Genesis, so keep your Bible uh, open. It says, These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very, a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Please listen to this dream which I had. Jump down to, uh, to, to verse 8. Then his brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you going to, really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now he had still another dream, and related it to his brothers, and said, Lo, I've had another dream. And behold, the sun, the moon, were, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. That symbolizes his, his family. Uh, jump over to, uh, down to verse 11. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now turn over, if you would, to chapter 39. And again, we are going to just pick up a few different, um, just a couple of verses in a couple of different places. Chapter 39 and verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And jump down to uh, verse 20 of the same chapter. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Now turn over to the last chapter of the book, uh, chapter 50. And I read this verse already, but it's verse 20. Joseph says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Thank you. may be seated. Now, I know that we uh, kind of uh, jumped around a little bit. Hopefully, you're familiar with what happened in the intervening verses in between uh, what we read. But if you're not, I'd encourage you to read those when you get home and kind of uh, fill out some of the story. I will t- touch on some of the points along the way. The first thing I want you to see, though, in our, in our text is that sometimes it's best to stay quiet. Sometimes it's best to stay quiet. Now, if you look back at, at the first part of chapter 37... Uh, we're introduced to the story of Joseph. Now, where we pick up in our text in verse 2, Joseph is a young man. He's 17 years old. He, he's, a, he's a teenager. He's a young man. And he's tending his father's sheep with some of his half-brothers. Now, you remember that Joseph lived in a messed-up family. I mentioned this earlier. He was in a dysfunctional family. Just to remind you some of the family dynamics that were going on, Jacob, his father, who's also called Israel, he wanted to marry a beautiful woman named Rachel. You remember this story? He wanted to marry her, and 
and he, he worked for her for, for seven years and to, to kind of earn the right to take her hand in marriage and then through some trickery of the family, uh, 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 he woke up on, on the, you know, on his honeymoon day, uh, and, and he looked over at his new bride, and his new bride won Rachel. It was her, her ugly sister, Leah. And so, Leah was not, was not exactly the, the catch that he was looking for. And so, he ended up working some more and married Rachel as well. So, you can imagine, those of you who have been married, if, if your spouse has had a sibling, can you imagine being married to your spouse and their sibling both? That's going to be pretty dysfunctional anyway. Now, the thing was, Rachel could not have kids. And so Leah and Jacob end up producing children. And she's popping them out like a pest dispenser. And so, I mean, just popping out, popping out, popping out. Rachel still can't get pregnant. And so Rachel wants to have kids with Jacob. And I'm putting that in air quotes because she can't do it herself. So she gives her maid, Bilhah, to to, to Jacob as a wife. So now he has three wives. Two of them are sisters. One of them is a maid to one of the sisters. And she begins to have children with him as well. Uh, Leah stops producing children. And so she doesn't want out of this action. So she gives her maid to Jacob as well. And so now he has four wives. Two of them are sisters. Two of them are the maids of those sisters. And he and Zilpah begin to have children. And Rachel still can't. Finally, God uh, opens her womb, enables her to have a child named Joseph, and um, and so they're all they're all happy. And then she has another one named Benjamin later on, and so it's it's a pretty dysfunctional family. Um, there's there's favoritism. There's there's family drama. There's all this all these different uh, brothers and sisters and and half brothers and sisters and just weird stuff going on. So when you look at our text, it says that he's out in the fields with his, with his brothers, his half-brothers, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. So remember, these are the maids. And he's out there tending sheep. And the way it's introduced, it may imply that he's the chief shepherd, that he's the one in charge of the whole operation, even though he's younger than these brothers. Now, we don't know if, for sure if that's what was going on, but, but it's quite possible and we don't know what they were doing, but evidently it wasn't good. It didn't, it didn't suit Joseph because it says that he came back and brought a bad report back to his father. Again, Scripture doesn't tell us what this report was. It doesn't tell us what they were doing. There's no indication that he made a story up, that he was making a false accusation. And you might look at that and say, well, I've had a sibling like that. And he, he or she was always trying to get me in trouble with mom and dad. They were always going and, and telling on me. It doesn't, I mean, it could be that he was being a tattletale, but if he, especially if he was like the chief shepherd, it, it, it's more probable that this was being a, a faithful servant or a faithful uh, worker when he went back and, and told this story. But even having said that, you know, same as I do, even if it was a truthful report, even if it was fair and honest and faithful, if that's being told about you, you wouldn't be happy about it. And so, so these brothers began to hate Joseph. And on top of all that, on top of all this other drama, if you look at verse 3, it says that, that, that there's favoritism going on because Jacob loved Joseph more than the brothers. Remember, he's the, he's the firstborn son of his favorite wife. Again, that sounds like a Jerry Springer uh, topic, doesn't it? I mean, but, but that's what's going on. It's dysfunctional. And so he's the favorite son of his, his favorite wife, and so he gives him a very, t- very colored tunic. Your Bible may say a coat of many colors. 
Now understand, this is not like a, a rainbow sports jacket. This is a tunic that goes like from from, from your shoulders to your to your ankles. This is a like a full length thing, and so this is the type of thing back then that like a prince would wear. This is some, something that a distinguished person would wear. Somebody who doesn't do a whole lot of manual labor. And, and it probably indicated that Jacob was going to give the blessing of the, of the firstborn and, and all that that goes along with it, not to Reuben, who is his actual firstborn, but rather to Joseph. And so, so if you've ever been in a family situation where there's favoritism, you know if you're not the favorite, it makes you mad, Right? I mean, maybe, maybe you've seen it amongst your siblings. Maybe uh, you, you have kids and, and they were not the favored ones, but your, maybe your, 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 your nieces or nephews were the favored ones in the family. You know what it's like. It, it, it doesn't have to be a, a big thing. Many times it's, it's you know, the, the gifts that are given at, at Christmas, birthdays, things like that, they're just a little bit more or a little bit more numerous for the others, not for you or not for your kids. It's the time that's spent with them, not with you. And, and it's oftentimes it's just a little thing, and you look at each individual thing, and you say, well, that's not that big, but it's the accumulation of those things makes it a big thing. And so that's what's going on in, in Joseph's family. All the kids hate Joseph, so much so they won't even speak kindly to him. When, when he says, good morning, they, they cannot respond in a pleasant way. They can't even say, good morning, uh, blessings on you, or anything else. And so it's into this environment that Joseph has a dream. Now, in the ancient world, they saw dreams as being like a revelation from God many times. And that's the way he and his brothers took it. And so he has a dream, and unwisely, he shares it. And in essence, what he says is, one day, you guys are going to bow to me. Now, I'm an only child, so I can't exactly identify. I can imagine those of you who have a sibling, especially a younger sibling... How would you have responded if a 17-year-old them came to you and said, one of these days, you're going to be at my feet bowing? You, know, you, you, can, you probably would not have that good of a, a, a response. It may have been less than a Christian response. And if you've ever talked to a 17-year-old anybody, especially the boys, they usually think they're kind of hot stuff. Now, Joseph seems to have been in that category because if you look at the end of verse 8, he didn't, evidently didn't deliver this in the most diplomatic of ways. Because if you'll notice at the end of verse 8, it says, Then his brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you, are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams, what? And for his words. So evidently, the way that he told them this was kind of cocky. He was being kind of bratty. And then on top of that, he had another dream. And this one, he not, only, he not only told them the first one, he told them the second one too. And this one, it wasn't just the brothers that were going to be bound down to him. Mom and dad's going to be at his feet too. And can you imagine your 17-year-old coming to you because he does tell his dad. Can you imagine your 17-year-old coming to you, looking you dead in the eye and saying, one of these days, you're going to be bound to me. Probably many of us would probably try to, we'd have to restrain knocking his head plumb off his shoulders. That's what, that's what Joseph's doing. Now his brothers, if you look at verse 11, his brothers put some stock into this. He got a rebuke from dad about it. But look at verse 11. His brothers put some stock in it because it says they were jealous of him. There was something in the back of their mind that said, you know, this makes me mad, but it wouldn't surprise me. 
They would probably never admit that, but that, that, that was what brought these feelings about. Now, I say all that to say this. There's a time to talk, and there's a time to be silent. Joseph, you know, somebody, I've heard it said, uh, never miss a good opportunity to shut up. <laughs> Joseph didn't take that opportunity. God never said, at least it's not recorded in Scripture, he doesn't say, hey, you need to tell your whole family what's going to happen. But Joseph does it anyway, and again, I think even, I mean, 17-year-olds are not the best at picking up on the feelings of others around them. But even, even a 17-year-old boy could probably figure out, hey, I have 11 siblings that really hate me, and I just told them they're all going to be at my feet. Maybe I shouldn't say this next one, where they're going to be at my feet again, and mom and dad are going to be at my feet. But he, he says it anyway. Listen, there's a, there's a time to talk and a time to be silent. And every person who's hearing me today can think of a time when you didn't take that opportunity to be quiet and you wish you would have. That time when, oh, you had the comeback and you just couldn't, I mean, you tried. You almost, if, even if you would have put your hand over your mouth, you still would have said it because it was just perfect. And then you wish you wouldn't have, wouldn't have said it. We've all said those things that were said in haste. They're said in anger. Things that were unwise. Sometimes we let something slip that was supposed to stay private. I mean, we have all kinds of times whenever our words have gotten us into trouble. And the Bible says, don't talk as much as you want to. It doesn't say in those words, but pretty close. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 2, the, the, the writer says, let your words be few. Proverbs ten nineteen says, when there are many words transgression is unavoidable. In other words, if you talk a lot, sin's going to happen. But he who restrains his lips is wise. There's a non-biblical proverb that's modern today. That even though it's not biblical, it's true. A closed mouth gathers no foot. There's a time to be silent. And there, we would do well to remember that. Joseph didn't. He just plowed ahead. But I want you to notice that even though... He has this youthful indiscretion, and he's saying stuff that is true but unwise to share. God is using even that to accomplish his will. Because those are the very things that pushed his brothers over the edge to do what they did. They got him into Egypt. They got him into Pharaoh's palace. So, there's a time to be quiet. Next thing I want you to see is that God is always with His people. God is always with His people. Now, we're not, again, we're not going to look at all the details between chapter 37 and chapter 50. But just to kind of boil it down, his brothers get real mad at him, and they decide they're going to kill him. And so his father sends him uh, to, to check on them because they're out shepherding uh, sheep. He, he goes out, tries to find them uh, where they're supposed to be, and... and uh, they're not there and he sees this guy come along and the guy says hey well I, I heard they said they were going to Dothan and so he goes up to Dothan and they see Joseph coming up wearing his, his, uh, his fancy uh, uh, garment that his dad had given him and they say well, let's kill him and, and so then they, they decide not to do that and they throw him into a, a dry cistern instead and now Reuben was the, the firstborn was the one to save him from getting killed outright not because he cared for Joseph but because he cared about what it would do to Jacob. And so he convinces them to just throw him down in the pit. They sit down, they're having a nice meal. 
And anyway, while, while they're sitting there eating, they look and they see this caravan of Ishmaelites and their camels coming along. And these Ishmaelites have been trading. They have aromatic gums and spices. And they're headed to Egypt. And so then the boys say, hey, you know what? Uh, why are we, I think Judah, if I remember right, says, why are we doing this? Let's make some money off the deal. And so they decide to sell Joseph into slavery to these Ishmaelites who are going to Egypt. Now, they took him to Egypt. He's auctioned off on uh, uh, an auction block, as at least we, we can imagine that. He's bought, at least, by Potiphar in Egypt. And I want us to pause and, and just think about this. Because we, we, we can summarize this and say, okay, well, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Those are all very mundane details, but they add up to kind of something real bad happening. But I want you to remember that God is behind all of this. Because on the outside looking in, it doesn't look like God's in any of it, right? Because here's this, here's this young man who's unfairly, again, he's kidnapped, he's, he's treated unfairly, he's sold into slavery. And you say, that is, that is bad, how can you say that God is in that? But when you pause to think about it, you begin to get an inkling of the scope of God's providence. And here's what I mean. For all of this to happen, the brothers first had to go from where they were to Dothan. Because if that didn't happen, they wouldn't have seen the Ishmaelite traders. And for, 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 for Joseph to have figured out where they were at, the, at that specific time, he had to have just so happened to come across a guy who was in the field and, and had this conversation. And that guy who was in the field just so happened to have overheard these guys that were talking about going to Dothan. Now, if he wasn't there at just the right time when they were talking about going to Dothan, he couldn't have had this conversation with Joseph who wouldn't have ended up going there. And so Joseph goes... And he's, he, he, he gets there at just, just a little bit before these Ishmaelite traders come along. Now understand, these Ishmaelites, the reason that they were at that point was because their trip to do all this trading had timed out just, so, just, just right for them to be there, just the right time for this to happen. But all those events of the Ishmaelites and their, all, all their journeys... I mean, you think about the weather and the animals and, and the deals that they had to do and, and all the, the human interactions, all that led up to them being at that point at that time. And they just so happened to not only say, you know, let's just have the, these spices and stuff, also it would be a good idea to buy a human slave too. And they were okay with that. And it just so happened that while Joseph was there in Egypt being sold that Potiphar at some time previous to this, had decided, you know what, I need an extra servant in the house, because he already had some. And he just so happened to need more servants. And he just so happened to not be outbid by anybody when he bought Joseph. And on and on it goes. And from the bottom side up, looking at, looking at this, you say, this is all just a, a jumble. It's all just a bunch of mess. A bunch of coincidences is what it is. But from the top side looking down, from God's perspective, all the pieces are being put into place. Not by chance, but by orchestration. And I want to tell you, it's like that in each of our lives too. We don't have, we're not, dic- the, the, we're not dictated, our lives are not, are, are not determined by chance or fate or anything else. They're determined by God. Now I want you to look at chapter 39 and verse 2. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. Now notice the word Lord is in all caps. And remember what that means, that's talking about the personal covenant-keeping name of God, Yahweh, or Jehovah. 
And so here is this 17-year-old kid, kidnapped, taken to a foreign land, sold into slavery, bought, has all this stuff going on, and the Bible says, betrayed by his, by his very brothers, and the Bible says, God was with him. Now, that's hard to see how that's the case. God doesn't speak out of the heavens to him. He doesn't have any special revelations from God. Now, now listen, he dreamed of his success, but he didn't dream about the, the hardships. Can you imagine? I mean, here, here's a young man who's, who's dreamt about, about having all this good stuff happen, and, and here he is as a slave. I'm sure he was probably more than a little confused and, and maybe angry. Now, on top of that, and if you know the story, you know what happens after a while. Potiphar's wife takes a, takes a shine to him, and, think, you know, he's a good-looking guy, and she, uh, she tries to seduce him. He won't have any of it, so she makes a false accusation. Potiphar, her husband, the captain of the bodyguard, could have put him to death, but instead puts him in prison. And it just so happens that he's also there with, uh, with a cupbearer and a baker, a pharaoh. Now, once you look at chapter 39, verses 20 and 21... So, verse 2 says that the Lord is with Joseph in, in Potiphar's house. Look at uh, verses 20 and 21. It says, so, so Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Again, he's in this terrible situation, and you look at this and say, how can the Bible say the Lord was with Joseph? And understand, this is not, we, we read this, and it's just a few verses. And we think, well, this is maybe, maybe a, a couple months that he's there, maybe, maybe even a year. Understand, he was there for 13 years. Say, how do you know that? Well, how old was he when he was sold into slavery? 17. Okay, so he, he's 17. He gets thrown into jail. He's there. He, he, he interprets this dream. The cupbearer is released. Remember this? And Joseph says, Remember me whenever you're released. Speak to me to uh, speak to Pharaoh about me, and he gets out of out of prison. And remember, it says that he forgot him for two years. So, for two years, he's he's forgotten in in prison. And the Bible says in chapter forty that he was thirty when he stood before Pharaoh. So he's taken out of prison to stand before Pharaoh to interpret his dream. So Joseph is a slave for ten or eleven years. He's in prison for more for at least two years. So thirteen years before God moves, right? Wrong. Thirteen years, but he's moving every God is moving every day of that thirteen years. See, we look at this and say, well, there's this period where God's with Joseph, and then nothing, 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 and then all of a sudden God acts thirteen years later. No, God is at work each and every day of Joseph's slavery of Joseph's imprisonment. Because if he wasn't in that prison at that specific time, he would not have interacted with the cupbearer. And if that cupbearer would not have forgotten him for two years, he would not have gotten out of prison at just the right time to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And if he hadn't interpreted Pharaoh's dream at just the right time, he would not have been released and moved to the second place in the kingdom. Listen, God is with his children each and every day. And it's usually in the mundane things of life. Days when it doesn't look like he's with you, he is with you. He's not abandoned you. 
It may look like he's like he's forgotten you. You 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 think about how many prayers Joseph probably prayed sitting in that prison. And it would look like God's not answering those prayers, but each day he's moving his will forward a piece at a time, a day at a time. He promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Matthew chapter 28, the great commission was Jesus say, "Lo, I am with you always." And there are all kinds of lessons that we can look at in the life of Joseph. But the overarching theme that I want us to see, and I want us to see all these in in the context of, the, or against the backdrop of, the providence of God. That's the main thing I want you to see. God is sovereign. He rules over all. People may mean these things for good. And that's, that's what Joseph, if, if you look back at chapter 50, Joseph didn't say, Brothers, I know you didn't mean bad to me. It's just, he, he, doesn't make any, he doesn't make any excuses for it. He doesn't downplay it. He said, you know what? You guys meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The same word meant is the same, same in both cases. They intended it for evil, and God intended their evil acts for good. He uses all things to fulfill his will. Even when it looks like he's forgotten us, he's ruling over all. And don't miss this, the brothers, catch this, the brothers did this evil act with the intention of evil to thwart God's revealed plan. They thought if we will sell him into slavery, he will not be able to rule over us. God used the very things that they thought would thwart God's plan to fulfill God's plan. Catch that. They said, we're going we're gonna to stymie God's plan. We're going to sell Joseph into slavery. That'll keep him from doing what he says that he's going to do, what God says he's going to do. And God says, oh, really? I'll just take your, your selling into slavery, and I'll use that to get him into prison, to get him into the palace. This is the same, this is the same thing that happened in the life of Christ. These religious leaders said, here's this one who says he's the Messiah. We know what we'll do. We'll kill him. That'll keep him from being any kind of Messiah. And the very thing that they tried to do at the cross to stop his plan fulfilled his plan. And on the cross, Jesus was that Messiah. He fulfilled his mission. And listen, God rules over each and every moment of time in each and every inch of space. As the late R.C. Sproul used to say, there is no such thing as a maverick molecule. Don't think, I mean, we, we look at our lives sometimes like, oh, man, I've really hosted up. Now, if I, if I if we have all this pressure on ourselves, if I don't do this just right or that just right, if I miss it, I'm going to mess God's will up for the world. No. Listen, you ain't that powerful. Nobody is. These brothers couldn't mess it up. The, the religious leaders of Jesus' day can't, couldn't mess it up. You can't mess it up. Nobody can mess it up. Because God rules over all. You're not more powerful than God. God doesn't, what you do and what you don't do doesn't take God by surprise. God is in control. And you're not going to mess up His will. God will use even those mistakes to fulfill His will. And even, even when it looks like He's not working, like He has forgotten you, like He's abandoned you, He is working in those times and you can trust Him in those times. Even 
listen, let's take it back to the beginning. Even when you don't keep your mouth shut, and you should have, and you wish that you would have, and after it's all said and done, you look back and say, boy, if I could have that to do over, that's one of the things I'd redo. God can even use that. Psalm 96.10 says, say, tell, say to the nations, our Lord reigns. Our Lord reigns. And I wonder, do you have a situation today that you need to trust Him in? Again, maybe you're going through a difficulty. Maybe you're going through a, a dry spell. Maybe you're having some spiritual uh, turmoil. Maybe you have all this stuff, whatever it is, a family situation, health situation, job situation. We have, we have all these things in our lives. Do you have something you need to trust Him in today? Do you have some situation that you need to praise Him for today? That He has worked in that situation to bring good out of the bad. Now, the ultimate good out of the bad is the salvation that we're offered because of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross, the ultimate bad, to provide salvation for sinners, which is our ultimate good. And it could be that, that, that you're here and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior. And if that's the case, you're not going to get into heaven because you came and, and endured some of my sermons. You're not going to come, and you're not going to get into heaven because you've been baptized, you've taken communion, you've done whatever it is. Your name's on a church roll, you've given X amount of dollars to, to the church or to charity or whatever it is. The only way you get into heaven is through Jesus Christ alone. And if you have never trusted Christ for salvation, do that today. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come with uh, heads bowed and eyes closed. And with nobody looking around, I want to encourage you to take those burdens that you are carrying, to bring those situations that you're in, those things that make you feel like God has forgotten you, like God has abandoned you, like He doesn't hear your prayers, and in those things to trust Him, to bring them to Him and pray that His will be done, to choose rely on him and then sometimes we're like those ten lepers Jesus healed ten of them only one came back to say thank you sometimes we pray and ask God to work don't be forgetful our heavenly father Thank you, that, um, thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you that even on those days when it looks like we're out all on our own, like you've checked out, like you've forgotten us, like you're busy with other things in the world, that even in the most mundane, imperceptible uh, ways and situations and circumstances, you're with us. And you're moving your will ahead. 
Thank you that you're in control of all things, that nothing happens that surprises you or is outside of your control. And God, we, we ask that you'd help us to trust you in, in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. Thank you for working in those things. And God, if there's somebody who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray that you would draw them today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.